In the beginning was the Word, and that Word brought chaos to order, gave the seas and skies their border. One day the Word who made man became man. The Word from the beginning spoke, and the world started over. Since that time, all creation, every nation has been racing and chasing, just trying to measure up, catch up to what Jesus said. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. You are the ones that got up on Time Change Sunday. Give yourself a hand. I'll tell you what. This is... Now, what will be interesting today is we will see people wander in all morning long going, what did you guys do? Did you change the time? And we'll say, no, but the whole, you know, America did. Now, for those of you who are watching online, maybe from uh, somewhere outside of our country, uh, twice a year they frustrate us and confuse us for no reason whatsoever. If we could vote on it, we'd vote it out. But anyway, last night, we got one hour less sleep than what we normally do, so I'm a little grumpy. But uh, no, I'm glad to be here, glad you guys are here. And I do wanna welcome those of you who are watching online or in the chapel or warehouse or one of the uh, off-site campuses uh, here in, in the area. Um, you know, I, I wanna give a special shout out to my friend Elon, who is in Jerusalem. And uh, Elon, my life is better for you, and happy birthday this week, and uh, glad that you're watching. Also, uh, those of you who are listening to this being translated into Portuguese in uh, Portugal or Brazil, we're glad that you guys are along uh, also. So let let me ask you this. Can you remember uh, the last time something happened in your life that really knocked you off balance, okay? Made your stomach churn, your heart was troubled, and you're thinking, this is not good. This is not going to end well. You remember one of those? I had one not very long ago. Uh, uh, I had a toothache. And I thought, you know, I need to get on this right away. So about a month later, I called one of my friends uh, who is a dentist here in the church. And I said, man, I, I got a problem. Can you squeeze me? He said, come on in. We can figure it out. So, so I went in and, and um, they said, uh, <clears throat> they looked at it a little bit and said, we think we know what the problem is. There is a cavity underneath a cavity that was repaired like the last time you came to the dentist 50 years ago, literally. And uh, they said, we'll just take that one out and repair the, the, the place and you'll be okay. So they began to work and pretty soon I hear the dentist say something you never want to hear the dentist say. Uh-oh. <laughs> and what had happened is the tooth was cracked, and, and it wasn't his fault. It was just over, over the years, that's what happened. And so uh, he began to pull some of it out, and then he said, I've got some bad news for you. He said, uh, you're going to need some oral surgery, and uh, you need to go to an oral surgeon. And, and I said, well, when should I do that? Should I make an appointment? He said, we already have. You'll be there in about an hour. And so I thought, okay. Wasn't planning on this for my day, and drove over to the oral surgeon. But as I went, I thought, I can handle this because they, they knock you out. You know, how do you know that? You just, and, and when you're done, you're done and it's all right. Well, the problem was is that I had eaten too recently to be knocked out. And so the oral surgeon explained to me that you're gonna get this one out. It's gonna be good, you're gonna do it. And I'm sitting there in the chair thinking, oh my goodness, oh my. My heart was troubled. My stomach is churning. Now, the good news is is that 
he got the tooth out, and every, everything's okay, and we're, we're, we're going to live through that. And if that's the most serious thing that I, I have this year, it, you know, it'd be a pretty good year. But for you, it may have been something else. It, it could be a financial thing. You find out you're not going to get the loan. It could be, you know, the taxes were more than you thought that they were, or your ex withholds child support or alimony and just tries to make your life miserable and it's happening again and, and your stomach's churning, your heart's troubled. Could be an emotional thing. Could be your best friend is moving or you weren't accepted into the school that you wanted to or maybe your significant other says, you know, let's just be friends and your stomach begins to churn and your heart is troubled. Could be a physical thing, doctor found a spot, whatever. Jesus, uh, we're in a series called Jesus Said, and we're just looking at some of the statements of Jesus and some things that we can learn from it, but Jesus in John chapter 13 through 17 is giving the Last Supper discourse, and he's talking to the disciples about some very, very important things. And in John chapter 13, Jesus says, oh, by the way, guys, we've been together for three years. Your life has changed. We've seen some radical things happen, but I'm leaving. I'm going away, and you can't come with me, at least not right now. Well, that shook them all up. Peter, Peter said, where, where are you going to go? And Jesus said, you can't go there, at least not right now. Peter asks him why. He says, you know what? I would die for you. And you know that whole scenario that Jesus says to him, you know, the cock, before the, the cock crows, you will have denied me not just once, but three times. Now, during this talk, I can imagine that there's a lot of stomach churning and troubled hearts in the room. See, what causes a troubled heart? Loss, disappointment, fear. It's hard to do anything significant with a troubled heart. It's hard to get through the day with a troubled heart. It's hard to focus with a troubled heart. And as we study these guys, and basically what I'm going to do with you today, we're going we're to study John 14. And as we do, I want you to put yourselves in their place. See, we have a little different perspective. These days when we read the Bible, we know Easter happened, right? So we know, you know, there's kind of a good ending to this whole thing. They have no idea. They have no idea what's going on. All they know is that they've followed Jesus. They've left everything to go on this journey. And now he says, I'm leaving. I'm gone. And you can't come. And so they're troubled. And Jesus uh, says uh, in John chapter 14 and verse 1, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now that's a challenge, isn't it? And then, I mean, when your heart's troubled, somebody says, to you, hey, don't do that. Well, he, he says it. And here's what he says. He says, here's how you keep your heart from being troubled. He says, trust in God and trust also in me. Trust in God and trust also in me. The antidote, Jesus says, to a troubled heart is to trust God. Jesus says, I've got a plan. And here's what I want to say to you. Regardless of where you are right now, and some of you came into this place with a troubled heart. It's one of the reasons that we're talking about it. Jesus has a plan for you also. But here's the question. Here's the question. Well, before I get the question, let's look at the plan that he had for them. He said, there is more than enough room in my father's home. They have no idea what he's talking about. Okay, what's he talking about here? 
If this were not so, uh, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? He said, I've got a plan. I'm going to my father's house. We know this as eternity, eternal life at this point, concept that they're not familiar with. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know, you know the way to where I'm going. And what's interesting is the next verse, uh, Thomas says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? So here's the deal. Their hearts are troubled. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in me. Trust in God. I have a plan. And so what I would say to you is that if your heart's troubled, trust in God. Trust in Jesus. He has a plan. But you say, I don't know what the plan is. I don't particularly like the plan right now. I don't understand the plan. So that's why we're going to talk about for the next few minutes, how do I trust God when I'm not sure what he's up to? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? You, you don't know what God's up to. How do I trust God when I don't know what he's up to? Let me give you three things. The first one is this. You've got to understand the mission. Understand the mission. When you're frustrated, when you're alarmed, uh, when those bells are going off, the best thing you can do is get perspective. Right? Away. What's the big picture? What am I a part of? What is the mission? What might this be saying to me and my part in it? And uh, we, we start with God. What's God's mission? God is on a redemption plan to restore everything. In fact, if you looked up redemption, it says the action of saving or being saved from sin error, or evil. And so God is, is on a, a redemption plan to save from sin, error, or evil. So this week on a Friday night, I got one of those calls that just turned your stomach. Um, my friend Terry Hilger, some of you know Terry, most of you don't. Terry was best buddy growing up. We grew up, went to school together. And when we... When we came up with this idea to start a church here in the Charleston area, the first person I called was Terry. I said, Terry, why don't you come help me? And so Terry packed up his wife Brenda and their kids. And they moved to Charleston, and together, almost 30 years ago, we started Seacoast Church. And uh, we were in it together for about five years, and we were close from before, but we got even closer then. We did everything together. We did holidays together, every Thanksgiving we spent together. And then after five years, Terry went to, to uh, pastor a church in Aiken, South Carolina. And even then, we, we went back and forth and we spent just about every Thanksgiving for the next several years uh, with them uh, in Aiken. Our kids got close. They're all about the same age. And, and, uh, and Terry and Brenda are just some of our closest friends. Well, Terry called me on Friday night and he said, Brenda just passed. Now, this was a call I was expecting, but if some of you have been there, even when you're expecting it to some degree, it's like it, it hits you, and it's the reality is there. And she'd fought a three-year battle with cancer, and, uh, and she'd, she'd gone on. And I, I remember hanging up the phone, and, and I began to talk to Debbie about it. I started to cry, and I, I'm just going to be honest with you. On Friday night and Saturday morning, I cried more than I have since my, my mother died. Uh, in, in fact, um, I was uh, going to uh, catch a plane on 
Saturday afternoon and go to Boston for an event that I had that weekend. And uh, Debbie was taking me to the airport. We were a little bit early. And we went to a men's store, and she was going to buy me this sweater that I'm wearing this morning. And she said, uh, you know, park close to that door, and we'll go in. And when we got there, I told her, you're going to have to go in. I can't face anybody. And sat in the parking lot, and I just cried. There were a lot of reasons for it. It's just natural grief. In fact, I was processing Josh Walters' message on grief over and over and over in my mind. I was feeling bad for Terry, who has lost the love of his life. They've been married for 44 years, and he's still a young guy. I consider him young. He's a year older than me. And, uh, and, I, and I was crying selfishly for myself because I had known that Brenda was close, and I was hoping that she would pass during a time that I could go to the service and be there for Terry and to honor her. And, and uh, Terry had told me that they were going to have the service on Tuesday, and that Tuesday, I was speaking at a conference in Boston, and normally I'd be able just to say, you understand, I can't do that, but I was like the featured speaker, and I was speaking three times on Tuesday, and then hosting a question and answer, and then, and then meeting with uh, uh, 20 of the more significant churches in the New England area on Tuesday night. I couldn't back out. I couldn't back out. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm crying. I'm just bummed about the whole thing. So I got on an airplane and uh, went to Boston. I preached at a church on Sunday morning. Didn't tell them anything about it. I was prepared to do the, the Tuesday deal. My heart was troubled. And Monday, uh, Sunday afternoon after I got done preaching, I'm, I'm driving uh, 40 miles inland toward, or actually toward the coast to where the conference was gonna be. And I got a text from the conference organizer and he said, um, I, I feel so terrible about this, especially since you're already in Boston. But he said this, this big storm, you know, they had a big nor'easter and a hurricane and all this kind of stuff last weekend. He said it's knocked the power out in our area. I haven't had power for 48 hours, and they say it'd probably be at least 48 hours till we have power. He said, I'm gonna have to cancel the conference. And what I'd like you to do is on Monday, just I'm gonna find a place where they've got television studios, and I want you just to speak your message to a television deal, you know, for, and I did for about six hours on Monday. But when I hung up the phone, I had such a sense of, yes, God, you sent a nor'easter to Boston, <laughs> inconvenienced a million people so I could fly to Denver for the service. And while I was sitting in the service, again, weeping. I just get more weepy the older I get. I don't know what the deal was. And I'm thinking about the same things that you do when you're at a service like that. Why her? Why now? Why cancer? Why all of those things? And I was reminded of what we're going to speak about this weekend, that the why really is fairly simple. It's the results of sin. Not Brenda's sin necessarily, although she's a sinner just like I am. But see, in the garden, when God created Adam and Eve, he intended to have fellowship with them and that, listen to this, that they live forever. God's intent, original intent, was immortality of man. He never intended that there be anybody that sit at a funeral and mourn and weep for a loved one who's lost because they were built to live forever. And then sin was introduced 
into the world, and, and what it's ended a lot of things, there are a lot of consequences, but the main one is, the, it, it, is death. That after the garden, that man was appointed to die. And so, and, and, and so every death since then is a result of sin. Immortality was taken away. And that's what happened with Brenda. But God is on a redemption and restoration mission since the beginning of time. You need to understand that if you're going to understand tough times and hard times. God is redeeming and restoring from sin and death. In fact, one of the things that Jesus did, it says on the cross, is he triumphed over what? Over sin and death. He restored the possibility of immortality. That's what eternal life is. That's why when you say, yes, I'm going to follow you, and you become a Christ follower, then you are welcomed into God's family, and you are going to live forever. And while Brenda wasn't at that service, she was with the Lord because of the work of Jesus and the mission of God. Do you understand that? And so, and so the Bible says this in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19. It says, for God in all of his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So, so what we're going to celebrate is Easter in here, here in just a few weeks. And it's the culmination Actually, it's the beginning of the next phase. It's kind of the end of first phase, beginning of next phase of God's redemption process where in Jesus Christ, he triumphs over death in the grave. And finally, there is one who is immortal. Jesus lived his life on mission. In fact, look at his answer to Thomas. Remember? Uh, Thomas said, I, I, I don't understand any of this. Jesus told him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And at about that time, I'm thinking that Peter's thinking, you know, <laughs> I'm really glad someone other than me has finally asked a dumb question. And so Peter's thankful for Philip, and because they don't understand it, they don't get it. And Jesus replied, and he says, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus came for several reasons. One of them was to defeat sin and death on the cross, but he also came to be a reflection, an accurate reflection of who God is. You want to know who God is, you look at Jesus, okay? And so he says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own. In fact, somewhere else he said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I listen to the Father. I speak his words. I call it the voice of more, okay? The voice of more. He speaks the words of the Father. But my Father who lives in me, does his work through me, just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the work that you have seen me do. Jesus' life was about the, the mission. So how does that impact me? We're on mission. We're on mission. See, God places each of us where we are for a purpose. Think about your job. Think about your job. Why are you there? 
well, you know, it's the only job I could get, or this is a really fulfilling place and it matches the gifts that I have, or maybe I'm an entrepreneur and I started my own business and it's hard, but it's fulfilling. Those are all good things, but let me tell you why you're there. You are there to reflect the goodness of God. You are there to be, you know, somebody said that you might be the only picture of Jesus that anybody sees. God has you in the place that you are on purpose. You are there for a purpose. Why do you live where you live? What about the gym that you go to? Why are you there? Well, because I want to look good. Well, that's kind of shallow, but it's okay. God can use that. He places you in that place. Think about the passions that you have. Why do you have them? So that God can be glorified in us, that the kingdom will expand through us. We are here for a purpose. Everybody is. And just as a part of that, uh, on, your, on your seat as you came in, why don't you grab that little uh, envelope that you got. And it says, it says, you're invited. You're invited. And as, as you open it up, it says Easter at Seacoast Church. Uh, on the other side, it gives the service times Wednesday, March 28th. We're doing an Easter service on Wednesday, March 28th. Yes, we are. Uh, for any of you who are going out of town or you have friends that are going out of town, it'll be an identical service to what we do the rest of the weekend. And then we're doing several of them on Saturday and several of them on Sunday. Let me tell you something about this card. You're not invited. Well, actually you are, but that's not what this card is for. You know about it. This card is to fulfill part of your mission, which might help somebody inherit eternal life. We're going to do our best. I'm so excited about Easter and some of the things that we got planned to present the gospel in such a way that I believe hundreds of people, maybe thousands, will come to know Christ and will move from mortality to immortality and live forever with him. And so use this in your mission. And hey, this is, this is cool. You know, they made them this size because you could get a gift card, like $5, stuff that in there, you cheap thing, go ahead and do it for a friend. And, and it gives a little value added. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? So, so yeah, yeah. All right, whatever. Some of you got it, and some of you <laughs> tight buzzards are just going to whatever. All right, good. So, so, so you're on mission that everything would be reconciled to its original intent. God is doing that through us. He did through Jesus. He's doing it through us now in triumph and in grief. So, it's been a long time on that, but if, I, if I'm going to trust God when I'm tempted to doubt, remember that we're on mission. Now, I'm going to give you point number two, and you're not going to like this one, but point number three will be real good, okay? Here's point two. Sometimes the mission is better served by a temporary loss. Sometimes the mission is better served by a temporary loss. Remember, I'm, I'm talking about how can I trust God when I don't understand what's going on? The cross, which we'll celebrate in just a few weeks, looked for all the world as a temporary setback. In fact, it looked like a major setback. Remember, we see things on this side of the cross, his followers, they don't. I mean, Jesus gives them a talk, says, I'm going away, all this kind of stuff. Then, boom, he's arrested and he's killed. He dies. That's it. It says that a lot of them went back to whatever their, their jobs were because it's over, it's finished. There's a loss here. It looked for all the world as if uh, hope has died. It must have totally devastated his, his, his followers. This is terrible. It wasn't a part of the plan. What do we do now? Listen, the cross was a part of the mission. 
The mission of God was advanced through what looked like a loss. Has that ever happened to you? Let me tell you about a loss. 17 years ago, approximately 17 years ago, we had concluded a year-long process of, um, of expanding our facilities here in Mount Pleasant. In fact, this was the only facility that we had. We were doing multiple services on Sunday morning. People were driving from all over the, the city to be here, and, and uh, we had gone through a process of designing a building and gone through it with the city. And at the last minute, the very la- it was like, yes, 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 no. You can't do it. They, they told us we couldn't build a bigger building, and not only did they do that, they, they made the zoning on the land that we had just purchased, $4 million worth of land. We had just purchased, and they said, you can't build on that. You can't build on that. Now, I gotta tell you something. I was not excited about that moment. In fact, I, I, I went home. I, I, I went to my office first, and I did what I do when I'm discouraged sometimes is I closed all the window shades down and, uh, and, and turned on some country music because they always lose something. They lose a dog, a car, a girlfriend, a horse, whatever. And you just want to sit in it a little bit, right? You don't feel like, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't tell me that. My heart's troubled, and I want to sit in it a little bit. And I remember kneeling down by my chair and thinking, this is awful. This is awful. I mean, I cursed the devil I cursed the town council members. I cursed everybody. This is awful. I'm embarrassed to face the congregation. What do you do? What do you do? It was in those moments that I really learned a lesson that served me well the rest of my life, and that's this, that God is omniscient. You say, well, you should know that. Well, I should have, but it really became real. And and here's the deal. Why, Why is that important? Because just because it's a surprise to you it doesn't mean it's a surprise to God. In fact, God's never had a day where he said, gee, I never saw that coming. My bad, my bad, I didn't see that coming. So what difference does that make? Well, if, if God is omniscient, he's at work on a solution before you even knew there was a problem, okay? He's at work on a solution before you even knew that there was a problem. And so, uh, so I thought, okay, all right, all right, all things work together for good. So we began to think about what, what can we do, what can we do, what can we do? We can't just stay here. Our town's going to grow. There are more people that need Jesus, all this kind of thing. And, and, so, and so how do we fulfill the mission? And so I got on an airplane with Byron Davis, one of my friends who was in the Saturday night service. We went out to San Diego, and we saw a church that was experimenting with some video things. They had like three warehouses right next to one another, and there were different kind of music in them, and and, and they were doing video stuff and thought, hmm, that's interesting. Then we took the uh, red eye uh, to Chicago because I didn't want to pay for a hotel. We took the red eye to Chicago. We got dressed in a, in a, in a church bathroom that we were investigating what their church, they were doing some experimental stuff with a little bit of video and then we went to another church that was too. And so we got on the airplane, come home and Byron and I said, I think we can do something different here think we can make this work. So we came, announced to our staff that we were going to do church in more than one location. Nobody was excited about it. Uh, my brother thought it was the stupidest idea. Uh, he said, why, why would anybody uh, sit in an auditorium somewhere else and listen to you and watch you on video? And I said, you're right, probably right, but now you're in charge. Make it work. And, uh, <laughs> and, so, and so we started doing it. We launched out with the annex next door, and then we went you know, to Columbia, which that was kind of an accidental one, and then we went to 
to, uh, to, to the West Campus, and I think that's about where we were when in 2004, a magazine came, or called us and said, Vision Magazine, and they said, we want to do a story about this new way of doing church that you guys are doing. I said, okay, you can come on and do it. And so they came, and it wasn't just a story. They, it took the whole magazine, the cover, all of the stories inside. And because of that, now, you got to understand there were some other people. There were very few people 17 years ago doing multi-site, very, just a handful of churches. But because of that magazine article, a lot of churches saw what was going on, and they said things like this. If Seacoast can do this, we can do it. And so we had people coming through, and uh, long story short, um, today... 17 years later, just in America, there are over 5,000 churches that are doing church in more than one location. And a lot of it, the result of kind of what God put us through, in fact, if you want to know the numbers, the average church is about 2,000 in the megachurch realm, and uh, that, that means that today, this weekend, there are uh, over 10 million people worshiping in multi-site churches that would have been limited to just one location if, if, if you know, people hadn't launched out and done that. And we're not the only ones that did, but I, I was looking at, up uh, uh, multi-site to get those numbers uh, on Wikipedia, and I read the article, and, 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 and were very prominently featured in the article as, as one of the pioneers of multi-site. In fact... When I go preach, like I was going to do the conference last weekend, and I spoke at a church last weekend, and next week I'm going to speak at one in Detroit, and they always introduce me with incredible honor, which just blows me away. And they usually say something like this. This is Greg Surratt, the godfather of multi-site. And I have a couple of problems with that, okay? One problem is we're not the only one. There were several of them, but for whatever reason, we're the ones that got, kind of got the notoriety on it. And secondly, when I was on my knees in my office that day going, God, I curse the devil. I curse town council. By the way, they all got voted out, which is why we can build now. But um, <laughs> praise God. But anyway, so, so while I'm on my knees, I'm not thinking about being a godfather of anything. I just want a godfather to come whack some people. Because, because this wasn't in the plan. But it was in God's plan. It was in God's mission. And sometimes a temporary loss is a good thing for the mission. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, 17 years later, we get to build the building, and who knows what God is going to do with that. Here's what I think. I like to say, especially when I'm speaking to business people, that uh, innovation is just desperation in, in a pretty package, you know, when you're backed into a corner. But what, regardless of what you're, you're going through, uh, uh, the, the mission of God is going to be advanced. Um, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 says, For this reason we never become discouraged, even though our physical being is gradually decaying, yet our spiritual being is being renewed day after day. And this small and temporary trouble we suffer, which by the way, small and temporary to him is that he had been stoned five times. That's not like Colorado stone. That's with rocks. And two times he'd been left to die. They thought he was dead. He said, this is small and temporary, because it will bring us a tremendous and eternal glory, much greater than the trouble. For we fix our attention. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How do you do that? We fix our attention, not on the things 
that are seen, but on the things that are not seen, what can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen, immortality, lasts forever. So whatever you're going through, that you're having a hard time understanding, where is God and what is he up to? Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in Jesus. Here's, here's one of the lessons that I learned about that whole thing is that I'm a whole lot slower these days about putting the good tag or the bad tag on an event that happens. Because how do you know whether what you're going through right now is good or bad? Are you omniscient? No, you're not. The only way that you know is if you know the future. And I trust the God who knows the future. Does that make sense? That's some awfully good preaching for this early in the morning and uh, having one hour of sleep. But we gotta hurry, we got two minutes. Remember, you're on a mission. Sometimes the mission is better served by a temporary loss. Here's the third thing. Learn to pray bold prayers and trust God for the outcome. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. How can you do the same works Jesus has done? How can you do that? Does that mean that I can go out in a boat on the Wando River and just get out and walk on water? Somebody said, if you drink enough beer, you'll think you can do anything. Well, that's not the deal, okay? How, how, how is that true? Does that mean that everybody that I touch and lay hands on is gonna be healed like Jesus? No, he's the perfect representation of the Father. What it does mean is that he started the process at the cross. We are a part of, of the redeeming process of everything, the world, people, and all of that, and there are a lot of us, and we get to do the works, and we're on mission to do the works when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. See, what that means is that God was just getting started with his redemption plan through Jesus, and there's more of us to do it. And then uh, he says this, you can ask for anything, say anything, in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Boy, that's an incredible promise. Look at this. James 4 says you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. A lot of, a lot of times the reasons that we don't have what we're praying for is because we don't really ask God for it. Let me just say this. Jesus models for us a concept that we'll read about in just a second that never say no for God. Never say no for God, okay? Ask for things. He says sometimes when you ask, you don't receive it because your motives are bad. You ask for things to use for your own purpose. Going back to here, he says, you can ask for anything in my name. Sometimes our motives are bad. Sometimes we don't ask. Sometimes it's not in his name. Sometimes it's just not a part of the mission. And we don't know that unless we ask sometimes. Or sometimes it is a part of the mission, but the timing's wrong. Just like we had a 17-year delay in what we thought was God's will. Just the timing was, was different. So our model and attitude for praying ought to be like Jesus. Here's what he says. Father, if you're willing, this is on Thursday night in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me. So he, he's, he prays a bold prayer. He says, God, if, if this would be your will and whatever you're praying for right now, you pray for bold prayers for your kids, for your health, for your family, for your business. God, if it would be your will, would you, would you do this? And yet, 
he humbly says, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus wasn't afraid to ask, but his attitude was humbly submitted to God. He trusted God. And in this case, his prayer wasn't answered exactly like he wanted it to because the mission required him to suffer. But when the mission required him to suffer, look at this, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God didn't just leave him alone. And when your bold prayer isn't answered in the way that you anticipated, remember the mission. Sometimes the mission is better served by a temporary loss. That may be where you are right now. But even if the timing or motive is wrong, God will send an angel from heaven to strengthen you. So is your heart troubled? I want to invite you to look to the sun. Look to the sun and trust God. Last verse. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the sun and believes in him shall have what? Eternal life, immortality, and I will raise them up on that last day. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for the privilege of coming together on this Sunday and just studying your word and encouraging one another in that. God, I pray that in the next few minutes as we respond to you, as we become accountable, as someone this morning even was talking to me about in the foyer, that we become accountable to what you're saying to us. I pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.